You are interested in the unknown, the mysterious, the unexplainable. That is why you are here. We are gathered here as advisors, as scientists. I'm something of a witch. Welcome to Mission Spooky, you guys. I'm JC, your wonderful host, and with me, well, not with me, is Kiki, who's okay. I am okay. We're on quarantine lockdown, and as I had mentioned to you guys before, we are using Discord. Yes, which is not us punching each other in the face which is what I thought it was. Yeah, no. When she first said, hey, we're going to have a lot of Discord usage, I'm like, you know, I have Discord with a lot of people. Unhealthy <laughs> amounts of Discord. No, this this allows us to stay on our state-mandated lockdown during the COVID-19 oh. pandemic crisis. Currently, we're going county by county, but our county-mandated lockdowns are happening. Yes. And we're both in lockdown. I mean, yes. I'm an essential employee now, so. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. Hey, let's um, let's clean that up a little bit because um, in the King George episode, we were going to make people pay. For, we were going to make people pay for that information. You know what? Were we? Um, yeah, it was kind this of funny. What happens when I don't listen to anything I say? Look, it came <laughs> out yesterday. I've had a busy couple days. Um, yeah, but since I've already said that we are going to put in uh, our regular pleas for patrons at the end of every episode during quarantine, uh, thinking of the future, but we are under no illusion that anyone can afford anything besides toilet paper right now, which is not really readily found. And so I will give you guys the freebie. We were previously jokingly going to make you pay for this knowledge. And that is that JC and I actually worked together past tense as of last week and that the best part of it was that the jc was actually my boss at said job <laughs> to be fair you weren't in my direct department but i oversaw everything because no and <laughs> i was the lord of that location <laughs> yes <laughs> you were gonna like, i was lord of the place where you region that you're working in currently and um well actually it's kind of funny because if anybody is following me on twitter then you probably figured out by now where i do work because i bitched up a storm about how we weren't closed and we should have been yeah and i mean if you follow me on literally anything you'll know exactly where because i have it everywhere because i haven't <laughs> changed it on anything yet so i just generally don't i, I really don't complain about the company because i mean overall it's in my position, it's whatever, you know, I don't really care. I had several, several issues, but that's not for this <laughs> podcast. So the retail hell podcast that we're going to put at some point. Yeah, yeah. One of one of these days. Do you guys know how difficult a podcast is? And I don't do any of the work. <laughs> it just sounds like Kiki will be like, oh, well, I did this. I talked to this person. We're getting this person as a spot. Well, we're, we were getting that person as a sponsor, but now they backed out. And then, and then we did this, and then we did, then I did that, and then this happened, and then this, and... I'm like, 
I'm glad I just have to sit down and say what's on my mind. And now neither one of us even has to like have had our teeth brushed or hair done or like wearing clothes. It's great. I mean, I just took a shower within the last hour. I mean, to be fair, I did do all those things anyway. But but we don't have to. That's that's the whole point of remote. Oh, yeah. So if the audio isn't like as nice as it usually is just you know bear with us during the quarantine period because my area is a little bit more soundproofed if seth myers can put out things from his hallway i'm allowed to sit in my room and you know i think i think there's a little give there it still doesn't sound that bad really i mean at least i don't hear like sirens and birds chirping so that's good not yet but you will when the bird police show up Oh, hey, we're talking about Hawk Mountain today, so birds. But I have a lot of crap to get out first, okay, guys? So, Uh, Are you in the bathroom? (laughs) I was just going to say I'm not in the bathroom. (laughs) I always recommend being in the bathroom or on the bed of an enemy. (laughs) She had to turn off her mic. (laughs) She was laughing too hard. What? Who shit on the coats? No one shit on the coats. It's a joke that only some people are going to get. It's... Is it an old people joke? You always do these to me. Okay, so as we had mentioned uh, in the last episode, JC's nonprofit spaghetti dinner has been canceled and we'll let you know for you folks in the area when that gets rescheduled. Yeah, we're still trying to figure it out because, like, there's a lot of factors up in the air. I mean, if you want to, you know, travel from Australia to get here to enjoy spaghetti dinner with JC, then just don't do it right now. <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd recommend it. Like when it's, we're not on a pandemic, it's pretty good spaghetti. I got some business to take care of right off the bat here. Sorry. Oh uh, yeah, you got, you got a lot of shit to get out. Yeah, I do. So the band Savic has a new song on Spotify. You might remember them from a few episodes ago when we played their song Alive in Shadows. Oh, it was a good one. It was. I have put that song called What is Compassion on our Spotify playlist, if you want to listen to that. Bad Custer, who was on our episode 14 with their song Tiny Man, their next album is going to be out on 6-12, so June 12th, and that's called Needs Work. And they have some new merchandise on their website if you want t-shirts or beer glasses. And that was a sneak peek. Tiny Man was actually a sneak peek for us. Um, They were really cool letting us have that before you know obviously before the uh, album comes out and i just want to say this we have bones like lightning on the spotify playlist right now because that's one of my personal favorite songs i heard that song on one of my and jc's favorite podcasts and that is ghost story guys and i was able to get in touch with bad custer about the new album and featuring that song and so we kind of owe gsg like a big thank you because they introduced me to Bad Custer. As some of you spooksters may know, Ian from Ghost Story Guys made up uh, some fake children for his co-host, Brennan. And their names are Kiki and Nathaniel. <laughs> and I've been trying to get fake adopted by Brennan like for a long time now. But in all fairness, I am older than he is. So that might be like a bit weird. Anyway, uh, I do hope that my fake dad is listening. Please let me come home because I'm pretty sure the president of the United States is trying to get us all killed. There's another reason why I want to get adopted, okay? Because then I would be Canadian. (laughs) I think that's how that works, right? I I know nothing about Canadian law, so yep. Uh, No, but seriously, guys, stay healthy, Ian and Brennan and your families. JC and I love you, and uh, we really appreciate you putting out a word about Mission Spooky for us. 
and Spookster Squad, please go listen to all of Ghost Story, guys, because seriously, you will not be disappointed. Do you have anything else to add to our random chatter, sir? Me? Uh, no, not really. Well, by the time this airs, you did mention you are one of many who may be spending an anniversary in quarantine away from your loved one. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, so I was reading the like, and I'm not saying I would do this. But under under our quarantine orders, residents may leave their residence uh, only for the following reasons. I'm not going to actually read you all the following reasons, but there's a lot of reasons. And a lot of them can just be like, yeah, officer, I'm going to a house to take care of someone or something. And you're allowed to travel. And how are they going to check on that? And I think this is kind of sad, but uh, if need be, I plan on, you know, doing what I have to do because I'm a piece of shit. <laughs> so you're gonna go break quarantine so you can be with your girlfriend uh yeah if okay. i have to i mean honestly <laughs> i doubt it's mm. here's the thing she's probably not going to let me break quarantine <laughs> the permission slip you actually need is from her <laughs> yeah she would be the one that especially since like i've been working the last couple days she's gonna not want me to be near her yeah yeah with that said uh we're gonna break for our sponsor and when we come back our pa haunt for this week which is hawk mountain hi i'm jenny the host of it's murder up north if you're curious about the murderous north of england this podcast is definitely for you i've lived in various parts of the north of england i went to college in the shadow of saddleworth moor where Myra Hindley and Ian Brady buried those five innocent children. I've worked in the city of Leeds, where the Yorkshire Ripper targeted his victims in the 1970s. Knowing how geographically close I've been to these crimes made me curious, and that curiosity became this podcast. However, my main hope is to help you see the person, not the victim. Welcome back, Spooksters. Because we are recording this during the COVID-19 pandemic, there are restrictions on visiting Hawk Mountain currently, and I'm going to address that really quickly. The mountain will be closed to visitors until May 10th of 2020, and it may be closed past that depending on where we are with controlling the spread of COVID-19. So because of that, I encourage you, if you can, to help them out and donate directly at their website, which is hawkmountain.org. Most of Pennsylvania parks are closed to the public. So if you're listening to this past May 2020 and things are still looking kind of crappy, then just check to make sure they're open before you go out there in the spring. Okay, so first we're going to talk a little bit about the history of Hawk Mountain. Then we're going to get into the supposedly haunted area. And then, much to my surprise, we're going to be talking about Skinwalkers and Wendigo. So this is now officially uh, a Wendigo episode. Wait, where'd you go? <laughs> you know when to go. <laughs> when did you go there, though? Last year. <laughs> oh, okay, nice. <laughs> oh, boy, this is going to be a great episode, guys. <laughs> sure is. Sure is. Oh, man. I think all of our episodes are great episodes. They are. They're pretty decent. So the history of Hawk Mountain begins before colonists ever stepped foot in Pennsylvania. The First People's Tribe, the Lenape, 
or as some of you may know them, the Delaware, considered this ridge to be both sacred and cursed. They held meetings and ceremonies on one side while shunning the other because, quote, spirits walk the ridge on the north side. And a bit later on, we're going to get into what those spirits may have been or might be. So, JC, have you been to Hawk Mountain? Do you know any of the stories surrounding it? Yes. So here's a little factoid about me, guys. I used to be in the Girl Scouts. Now, you might ask how and why. Well, my mom was Girl Scout leader. She was also a single mother and took me into the Girl Scouts with her. So I would go on hiking trips and stuff. And because I've lived near Hawk Mountain, we'd go to Hawk Mountain for like Girl Scout hiking trips. I'd also say, like, it was one of my grandfather's favorite places to take me, because, you know, hawks are cool. I used to be a Girl Scout, and I was a goddamn good one. That's actually pretty fucking cool, and I also was a Girl Scout. Oh, good job. I don't care about you, though. (laughs) All right, so I'm going to give you guys the uh, history here. Hawk Mountain is part of the Appalachian Mountains, and its parent range is the Blue Mountain Range. This mountain used to be called North Mountain because it was directly across the Lehigh Valley from South Mountain. Makes sense. In 1929, the PA Game Commission offered hunters $5 for every goshawk that was shot during the migration season. The goshawk is a medium-sized raptor that was considered a pest. And in 1934, after years of hawk and eagle slaughter on the ridge, Rosalie Edge ended the annual shoot by buying the property. She changed the name of the mountain to Hawk Mountain and turned it into a sanctuary. Rosalie was a suffragette and conservationist who was described as the only honest, unselfish, indomitable hellcat in the history of conservation. And that was by the New Yorker in April of 1948. Hawk Mountain Sanctuary was incorporated in 1938 and began year-round operations in 1946. The Game Commission bounty, however, wasn't terminated until 1951. (laughs) Bird counts have been taken at Hawk Mountain since the end of World War II, with the sanctuary counting its millionth raptor on October 8, 1992. Today, you can hike several trails, including the Lookout Trail that takes you to an elevation of 300 feet, and that is where you go to see the hawks and eagles, and it is absolutely amazing up there, guys. It is literally probably the best view of Pennsylvania from the Appalachian Trail. I have a lot of pictures, which I will probably put up on Patreon as free stuff. You guys can just see what it looks like. Wait, on Patreon? Why not Instagram? Maybe both. I will do both. I don't, I don't know how free stuff on Patreon works. Oh, I just I just put it up there. Oh, okay. Cool. So really, really, you guys should be following us on Patreon anyway. You don't have to sign up for anything. You can just follow us. And um, I really should get to posting a lot more photographs because the the difference being that that i see with patreon is that i can you get a much nicer look of the photograph on your computer if you're at home on the computer Um, if you're on your phone then instagram would be the better i think of the two anyway yeah i have tons and tons of pictures of hawk mountain that i'd be happy to share with you guys so as we were talking about though besides hiking and native gardens and the birding the mountain is home to hawk mountain scout reservation and Hawk Mountain Camp, which are two Boy Scout camps, and then the Civil Air Patrol's Colonel Philip Neuweiler Ranger Training Facility, which is just better known as the Hawk Mountain Ranger School. And you're going to find out a couple of our stories later on are going to come right from people who have been staying at the Ranger School. 
So you said you knew a couple of the story or you knew something strange about Hawk Mountain. And I'm not 100% sure how true either of these two things are. So one was a story about a road on Hawk Mountain that is supposedly haunted. And you may or may not see like an orb on it. Like a big old white orb that's like the size of a person, but there's no real shape to it. And then I I remember a being told a story about a tavern or an inn that used to be on Hawk Mountain that people would go to and the tavern owner uh, would chop them up and eat them. And I will guarantee you I've done zero research to prove or deny either one. Well, that's okay, JC, because you know me. I've done all the research, and you're going to find out that at least one of those stories has possibly a tiny sliver of truth. Ooh, which one? Was it the second one? The tavern. Yeah, boy. I was hopeful. <laughs> you're like, I'm hopeful that that guy killed all those people up there. Yeah. I mean, only a little bit. Now it's official. We've become a true crime podcast. Oh, Lord. No. Well... Guys, it's this is going to be a really interesting story, and it actually is going to be along the lines of true crime. Oh, okay. Yeah. Anyway, so let's uh, let's get to it. Yeah, let's get to it. The story begins in February of 1756 during the French and Indian War. Early one morning, a group of Lenape emerged from the forest of Blue Mountain. Allied with the French, they intended on murdering colonial families living on the frontier. An account of the attack was documented in a letter from Valentine Probst to Jacob Levin. It tells of Frederick Reichel Delfer and the murder of his family and the burning of his property and the murder of Jacob Gerhardt's family that left him an orphan. The letter ends, we desire help or we must leave our homes. The orphaned Jacob Gerhardt stayed in the area and grew up under the care of another family. He settled in the mountains overlooking the spot where his family was massacred. In 1793, he built a sandstone tavern on the property. This happened to be along a popular route that took travelers over the Blue Mountains and into the Schuylkill County. Jacob died in the early 1800s, and by the mid-1800s, the tavern had changed hands twice. It is this second set of owners that make Hawk Mountain a go-to location for those interested in the macabre. These owners were Matthias and Margaret Schombacher and their names will forever be associated with the property. I have heard Matthias's name pronounced Mattias, which is not incorrect. That's actually the German pronunciation, but I'm going with the traditional Anglic- I don't know, anglicized, but... Once again, I'm going to state that uh, you say things, and it's how you say it. Fuck it. You know, we're, you know... We're the experts here. I just, I just want people to know that I do know the German pronunciation is Matthias or Matthias rather, and but I'm going to go with Matthias on this one. It's just, just rolls off the tongue nicer for me. Today, Schombacher's Tavern, also known as Schombach's Tavern, because they have two different spellings of the last name, is owned by Hawk Mountain Sanctuary Association and is used to house employees. And it was added to the National Register of Historic Places in 1979. The building served as Hawk Mountain's sanctuary headquarters from 1938 to 1975. It was in 1938 that Maurice and Irma Braun, the first curators of Hawk Mountain, 
began collecting stories of the infamous Matthias Schumbacher. They can be found in a book by Maurice called Hawks Aloft, and this is available on Kindle. And it chronicles the couple's life as they begin this massive undertaking of being the first curators of the mountain. In the book, Maurice describes Schumbach as being of medium stature, lean but unusually strong, and as definitely the silent type of scoundrel. Braun wrote of his wife, Becky, the opposite, that she was even-tempered and liked by all. The following stories and observations come firsthand from family members who lived in the area at the same time as the Schombachers. And if they are true, they would make Matthias Schombacher the first serial killer in America, outdating H.H. Holmes by 30 years. A local man once visited Schumbacher's tavern during a terrible thunderstorm. He was greeted by a haggard-looking Matthias who pointed out a barn where horses could be stabled. As they approached the barn, the horses became spooked and reared up in terror. The impatient man threw down the reins and entered the barn himself. There he saw traces of flesh blood spatter. The man decided to continue through the storm rather than spend the night at the tavern, which may have been a very wise decision. Rumors in the area circulated about travelers who mysteriously disappeared after staying at Schumbacher's tavern. Some told of how Matthias plied guests with food and drink until they could no longer stay awake, and once in a deep sleep, Matthias would murder them and sell their belongings for profit. To dispose of the bodies, he would first hack them apart. Some pieces were dumped into Old Well, while others were strewn in the forest for animals to clean. One guest who may have escaped the clutches of Schumbacher told of arriving at the inn famished. Matthias offered him some meat that he called Old German Sausage. The traveler sat down to eat, but had reservations as to where the meat had come from. There were no pigs, cows, or any other livestock on the property. Getting a really bad feeling about this, he waited until Matthias left the room, and he bolted from the inn. Upon telling his story to locals, the rumor that Matthias had used some of his victims to make sausage began. Elias Featherholt tells of a visit to Schumbacher's tavern while walking over the mountain. After hearing a strange noise, he approached the infamous barn on the property. The sounds were of someone in distress, and Featherolf quickly entered the barn hoping to help. There he saw Matthias in the loft holding a hatchet. Matthias saw Featherholf and yelled back, Go away! Go away quick or I will sink this hatchet in your head. Featherholf ran and Matthias's reputation as a deranged man grew stronger. At this point, locals called on authorities multiple times with complaints of strange lights coming from the house to screams and sounds of distress such as Featherholf had heard. But whenever they showed up, Matthias would scream at them about lawsuits and how they had no real reason to suspect him of any wrongdoing. No court documents were found that any legal action had ever been taken against Matthias. Up to this point, though, Matthias was in the right. It would seem that maybe the locals were just making up stories or taking things too far themselves. But then came the event that solidified the rumors into truth for many. Ed Trexler recounted his father's tale of a man peddling old Civil War uniforms in Albany Township during the 1870s. The man was eventually reported missing and had last been seen heading up the mountain towards Schumbacher's Tavern. A few weeks later, Matthias was seen in Reading, Pennsylvania, 
selling merchandise suspiciously similar to the peddler's wares. So, kids, if you're going to steal items from people, make sure they aren't highly identifiable. <laughs> uh, that's, that's, that's a key key. Uh, what what we call those? When they were, there's JC Facts, there's oh, Kiki Tip. Yeah. That's a Kiki Tip. You know, if you're, if you're going to be stupid and steal, at least don't be more stupid and steal like something that's, you know, highly identifiable. And a pro tip from JC is just don't steal. Right? Yeah, that would be that. Why are all your goods through legal means? Like, <laughs> I will do you to the death for that item. <laughs> Technically, it's legal. You just gotta sign the proper form. Kiki also uh, approves of fencing in order to obtain goods. Yeah, I'm like okay with that. building fences? No, as in sword fighting fencing. That's not real sword fighting. Oh, I beg to differ. I mean, you can beg to differ all you want. It's not I... real sword fighting. Kick your ass. Uh, would ya? Yeah. Oh. I've taken down guys twice as big as you. Oh, yeah. But were they using a fencing sword or a real sword? Of course. Oh, a real sword. (laughs) You mean like that fake, uh, what do they call it? Um, it's like the guys who put on all the medieval stuff. What? The Society for Creative Anachronism. What? (laughs) Never mind. (laughs) What are you even talking about? Are you, are you LARPing? Are you talking about LARP? No, LARPing is not the same as SCA. No. Oh, S. Yeah, I think it is SCA. It's SCA, Society for Creative Anachronism. I don't think that's what it stands for, but you do you. You know what's really great about having this ability to just, oh, look, let me just Google it right now. I'm pretty sure it stands for something else. No, it does not. Society for Creative Anachronism. Go fuck yourself. Nah. Hold on, I'm going to drop my mic. As I also try to prove myself right. <laughs> Would you like God me to read? <laughs> I hate the SCA even more now. I was never a big fan of them. Okay, so tr- truth be told, I had quite a few friends who were in the SCA. Um, I'm not really friends with them anymore. <laughs> it is, it is a, a singular kind of group. And, and I'm not saying this about every single one of them because i know that there's some really dedicated people and and i'm all for uh recreating historical anything because i think it's fantastic but there are some people who take it just a little bit too far just in, in, in anything so again i'm not saying anything bad about the sca but well because i fence like i take that like pretty seriously that uh fencing olympic style fencing is is the way to go um give me a real sword and I will chop your fencing sword in half, and then I will no. slice you in half. You're nope. right. You're right. I'd need a claymore to slice you in half. <laughs> Which I'm able to do because I understand how to actually fight with a claymore. Um, I don't use those wispy little French foils, though. It's got to be a British foil for me all the way. I don't know what that means. I just know that I would destroy. Except I'm faster, so... Mm. that's why that's why like power doesn't necessarily always win over being like smaller and quicker and faster because you can like you are correct however and hear me out um just because i have a lot of power with a claymore does not mean i'm not also fast as shit with it maybe anyway okay so let's get back on point there was a lot of name dropping of important organizations (laughs) Mainly SCA. Just the SCA. 
I'm sorry. When did the SCA become an important organization? Oh, yeah. Boom. So Schumbacher had a nervous breakdown and in 1879 died at the age of 55. His final words were a confession that he had murdered between 11 and 14 people on the mountain, that he was compelled to do so by a great evil in the forest. He was buried at the New Bethel Church. There are two different stories concerning the day of the burial. One states that his tombstone was struck by lightning, further adding to the story that Matthias and the spirits of the mountain were connected even in death. The other is that the lightning struck so close to the pallbearers that they panicked, dropping the casket. It rolled down into the grave, and rather than retrieve it and begin the ceremony all over, they buried Matthias face down. Now, you might think that this is where the story ends. But instead, another one begins. Locals tell of the next owner to inhabit the tavern. Another man called Matthias. He would grow to represent the opposing side of darkness. He was a pious man, a Catholic who did good works in the community. He told the locals of the evil he felt in the house and that he combated it with his devout spiritualism and belief. But he would eventually lose that battle. A traveler came upon the old tavern and noticed the door had been ripped off its hinges. Furniture was scattered across the lawn and there was no sign of the good Matthias. A search party was immediately called together. It took them a few days, but they found him in the forest. Decapitated. His murder was never solved. The story of the Schombachers ends with a set of owners right before the Browns became curators, and they are the Turners. In records, Maurice Brown found in the house, which <laughs> there's no evidence for, by the way. The Turners claim that they had found human remains in three of the wells on the property. Maurice himself told friends that he was digging around and found what he believed to be those bones, reburied in the hedgerow behind the house. Braun would tell his friends stories of missing or moved items in the house from time to time, but nothing so serious as a decapitation from an angry spirit. Jim Brett, another curator for Hawk Mountain, wrote in his book, the mountain and migration, that, quote, on misty evenings, Schombach's presence is strongly felt in and around the mountain hotel. More recently, both of the Schombacher's gravestones have gone missing from the Bethel Cemetery. And that is what we have on the Hawk Mountain Tavern. Matthias, I mean, he seemed like a shady character, for sure. Not a good kind of shady. I don't know if there is a good kind of shady, but he definitely was not that. Slim shady. Oh, yep, there is a good kind of shady. You're right, you got me. But, uh, yeah, I I don't know. It was all so long ago, it's, like, hard to know if it happened or if it's just stories that have been passed down. And But sure, if it did happen, that's shitty. <laughs> that's going to be a t-shirt one day. If it did happen, that's shitty. <laughs> yeah, I'll just put, like, somebody's face on. No, I was literally thinking of like just your face like a character of your face and you saying like well if that happened that's shitty oh that's i mean also okay i guess yeah well i i do wish that the records that were from the turners existed and and the only thing that i don't understand about the whole finding the bones thing on two accounts that make it suspect number one 
you know, this is like in the 1930s that they find this stuff. So why wouldn't you have called authorities out immediately and been like, hey, I just found a pile of bones in a well. Can you please have someone come identify them? To be fair, it was rural Pennsylvania in the 1930s. Okay, so I would I would accept that for the Turners. However, the Browns were conservationists and were maybe highly they thought they educated. were animal bones. No, know. he thought he thought they were human, and that's why I'm like, why wouldn't you call someone if you found these bones in the hedgerow? Why wouldn't you just call someone out at that point? You know, because this is almost in the 1940s, 1938, 39, somewhere in there. And again, they're highly educated people. They're there for a reason. They're there for conservationism. So I'm just like, I know the hawks are really important, but what about the goddamn bones, man? How old would the bones been? Well, I was going to say it'd be like the 1870s would be the murders because they had to take place before H.H. H. Holmes' murders. Yeah. But, okay, so it's not about identifying the people as much as it would be to absolutely 100% identify that they were human remains. And I would assume, I'm going to go out on a limb here a little bit and assume that if anyone would be able to ID the difference between animal and human, it would be someone that was a conservationist. But today it's considered a highly skilled thing. Like, I can do it, but, you know, I had to go to school to know that stuff. So... I don't, you know, I don't know. That might be something for me to look at later on just for, the, for out of curiosity's sake to see like what their actual educational background was. Yeah. I'm just, a, I'm a, just a little shocked at that as an excuse. I don't know. So I did say we were going to talk about skinwalkers and Wendigo and I'm going to do that right now. Skinwalkers? You know, I'm a skinwalker because I walk around with my skin. <laughs> I was going to say, did you murder a loved one in order to gain the magical experience in order to shapeshift into other animals? Using their skin? No, murdering a loved one is stupid because people automatically like look at close people. If somebody dies, family and friends are always interviewed first. Okay, that might be so today, but in Navajo tradition, not really sure how their legal system worked, to be honest. Well, I'm just I'm just saying like I would just kill random strangers. So why you ask me the question, I don't know. Because that's that's the shtick. In order for you to become they a skinwalker. They do something really bad. They don't necessarily have to kill someone they just have to do something really 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 bad uh, like incest and or necrophilia uh, and or both at the same time <laughs> oh god okay so the necrophilia part though how do you think that person became dead well yeah but it doesn't have to be somebody close to them they could just kill a random person and then have sex with a dead body well that wouldn't be the incest part though <laughs> so. well yeah i didn't say they both had to be happening but you said yeah but you said it would be a good thing if it was though okay well yeah because then you're definitely in because you killed you you probably killed someone you were close to or at least a family member because you're well incest with the person you killed and then you're having sex with a dead corpse and it's incestual or in incestual i don't know if they're a word but i'm sticking with it so yeah, that's that's the three big ones right there. That's the way, if I was to become a skinwalker, that's what I would probably do. Okay, so um, let's talk about the curse of the mountain. The evil spirits that inhabit the North Ridge, as described by the ancient Lanapi. While researching the murders, I came across something that I was not expecting. As you may have guessed, we we're talking about skinwalkers. That is one of those things that is 
quote unquote traditionally Navajo, which the Navajo did not live here. Just for the listeners, when Kiki first told me, oh, we're going to be talking about skinwalkers on the Hawk Mountain thing. I'm like, why? There were none there. Isn't that like a Navajo thing? And she was like, no, and that's racist of you to say that. Blah, 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 blah. And was like trying to make me a bad person. So, or at least feel like a bad person. Unfortunately, I have no feeling. Okay, part of that conversation was true, and I'm going to let the listeners figure out which part was not. <laughs> but yeah, I I was, con- like, because I had always heard it was a Navajo thing. Mm-hmm. It wasn't an East Coast thing, it was a West Coast thing. <laughs> so, there's been eyewitness reports of what people would describe as a skinwalker or wendigo. Which is not to be confused with Bigfoot or Sasquatch. We're talking about two different things here. Well, like three different. And actually three. Yeah, I was going to say actually three different. Because a skinwalker is not a wendigo either. So some of you, as we were just saying, might know the skinwalker tradition from it being Navajo. But my research, which includes firsthand telling from various First Peoples tribes across the country, gives a very different story. And I'm inclined to believe them as these are their traditions. So, yes, the term skinwalker is from the Navajo, but the concept can be found across First Peoples nations. So the idea is simply that you're willing to sacrifice your own loved one in order to gain the power to shapeshift. And that and the name of it just changes depending on what tribe and what location. Here is a list of some of the First Peoples who say that they have something either similar or that they believe in skinwalkers or that they have a skinwalker and well I'll start with those guys because it's the Utes because the Navajo would use skinwalkers to curse them and the Comanche because they were in skirmishes with both tribes so that's three tribes right there who definitely use the word skinwalker the Hopi have them the Chakota have the Ishkatani which they won't even speak that word out loud because it gives them too much power. The Apache, the Lakota, the Creek, the Ojibwa have bear walkers. And basically, the, the whole idea was put, I think, pretty eloquently by a woman who is from the Creek tribe. And she said, to think that we all lived in a bubble of our own tribe and knew nothing of other tribes or that we didn't have similar spirits, traditions, or even the same magical beliefs is just a wrong way of thinking. So, you know, I, I agree with that. Like, obvi- obviously, I have to because I'm hearing it from firsthand from First Peoples that they definitely have a magical tradition of something similar to specifically a skinwalker. But do the Lenape have one? Yes! <laughs> I I want to say by the clues given to me by you, yes, they did. Otherwise, why are we talking about them with Hawk Mountain? Well, what I think is happening is that um, people have listened to the reports from Skinwalker Ranch. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, I have no interest in doing an all episode on Skinwalker Ranch. I don't know about you, JC, but it's not really anywhere near on our radar well it's outside of pennsylvania so exactly it's in it's in far west pennsylvania and we're not interested in that particular area of pennsylvania (laughs) 
Well, and the real thing, there's fuck ton to it. And a lot of people have already covered a lot of it. And to just get into it requires a lot of drama because like you have source A saying this and then you have source B saying this and source C saying this. And whoever you agree with, the followers of the other sources are just going to molest you. Like they're just going to come <laughs> at you. I don't care enough to invite that kind of drama and negativity into my life. On that, I will state that I think there's a lot of really interesting things that may or may not happen there. And just the story itself, it's worth looking up. But there's a lot out there on the subject already. I know there's like a docuseries on Amazon Prime. I was just going to suggest my normal go-to, which is always last podcast on the left did a, a great take on skinwalker ranch so just start there and then branch out yeah they did they did they're actually not who i heard it first from but they they did a lot of research and i appreciated that yeah me neither i'd heard it other places but i you know look you should be listening to that anyway so just go <laughs> you should be listening to all 400 plus episodes of that anyway so just go listen to that one and then you know the rest will follow so the reason i say that i say this is that there's people who are into all of this stuff, you know, the cryptoids, and UFOs and all of it, they have the word skinwalker in their head and they think that they have an understanding of what it is. And so when you're going to hear some of these reports of things that people have seen, and this is just in the last few years up there, I think that they're just mislabeling it. Okay. Because the Lenape don't have an exact equivalent to a skinwalker. They do, however, have an exact equivalent to a Wendigo. So you think they're experiencing a Wendigo-esque thing? I believe so. The Wendigo and the Skinwalker both share a very common, similar story. But I feel like the Skinwalker is like the evolved form of it, or a heightened form, because it's more from like a ritual that gets done in where you do something terrible and now you are this quote-unquote monster. I don't want to call actual Skinwalkers monsters because I don't need that drama in my life. Whereas a Wendigo, they do something out of survival that is a horrible act. Uh, the, the story of the Wendigo that I know of, which is the correct and one and only uh, story for Wendigos, regardless of what Kiki says, in about two minutes, um, <laughs> they, <laughs> they become a Wendigo from cannibal. Whereas if you, if you eat someone, uh, you, in a survival situation or whatever, you become a Wendigo, which is this terrible horrifying creature that no one really wants to be both creatures are born from an act uh, uh that that's very violent and very taboo but one it's done on purpose with the intent to gain this power and it's done in a very ritualistic way whereas the other one most windigos at least to my knowledge, use cannibalism as a means of survival in desperate situations and then became that creature. Kiki's about to correct me on at least 20 different things because I fucking know that bitch. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> Have at it, Kiki. Tell me what you think of my thesis. My hypothesis, I should say, not thesis. Well, no, that's... You're not... You're not wrong. Why? Well, no, I'm not wrong. I'm never wrong. I've never <laughs> said a wrong thing in my life. You guys oh, heard it here first. Okay. <laughs> he was right. <laughs> or at least he was not wrong. 
I'm going to tell you guys a couple of the stories first that have happened in the last few years up there. And then we will go over when to go and, uh, and something else that may be at work up there on Hawk Mountain, if you're going to believe Lenape tradition. So the first story occurred in 2014. A man was walking his two dogs on state game lands, which I mapped out. And they're only about 30 minutes away from the quote unquote cursed area. He was startled when a bipedal unknown creature walked out from the forest into the path. It was between 8 and 10 feet tall. It had a large stride and short, dark-colored hair. The man thought he was witnessing a Bigfoot event, but then noticed that it had a very prominent snout that was a lot more canine in nature. The two dogs wanted to attack it, but the man held them back and just watched as the creature stared off into the distance ahead of it and just walked to the other side of the forest completely unfazed. The man notified authorities who sent rangers out, but they turned back finding nothing but having, quote, uneasy feelings about the area. At this time, I could also mention the other cryptid, the dogmen. I'm not talking about that, though, because we're going we're gonna to stay on the Lenape tribal stuff here for a minute. <laughs> that could be a whole other episode of, of dogmen sightings which i have a question yeah uh-huh. do you think he saw a wendigo or a lenape quote skinwalker there are not lenape skinwalkers okay so yeah so we can just nix that out okay of it. good because i was gonna say like aren't skinwalkers supposed to like they take the form of an animal they don't take half a form the stories that i read and a couple interviews that i watched too from tribal members it can go either way. It's like I've 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 heard the stories where oh the guy's like oh it's definitely a dog like I shot a dog or you know or I was run down by a dog. But then somebody else will come back and say well it looked like a dog until it got up on me and then I realized there were certain things not quite right about it like oh its paws weren't right and its legs were too long or the tail was missing or like. Which, of course, a, a tail could be missing on, you know, for any number of reasons. But, you know, this, there's always like this something that's not quite right about it. And that even reminds me of the ghosts in India that take on human form and something isn't where their feet are turned backwards. So I, I'm like, we're going back to this whole like either they're, they're really good at shapeshifting and they look exactly like a dog or Maybe they're not quite as good at it. And there's elements that are like just off, just weird. So maybe, maybe the ones that are really good at it, they did the, they did the murder, necrophilia and incest thing. Whereas the ones that are only okay at it, they only did one or two of those things. So it's, it's like the more evil. These are JC facts. (laughs) Just so everyone understands, I'm not trying to, to even think I understand what these things are or aren't or why there's differences in them because I am not a Native American expert in any way, shape, or form. But at the same time, you know, maybe you gotta bang your sister's dead body after you kill her to get all the powers. That's so, it's so wrong. It's so wrong. You're right. It should be your grandmother. Oh my God. She's again. close to dead anyway. And, again. <laughs> well, well, again, though, that, that, that actually came up in, in an, an interview that I watched where somebody was talking about that. It's almost like an elder family member would almost like sacrifice themselves knowing that their life is almost to an end. So why not gain power from that? Oh, really? I just made that up. That's an interesting concept. I was like, oh, 
Yeah. I wonder if that's doable or if it has to be the sheer murderous act of it, not... I not, think you know what I mean. I think you have to murder them. I, I, I mean, think so. I think that there has because I mean, if we're if you're looking at it from a non mythological sort of way, and you're looking at it like it's happening, then for especially Navajo that I've read, it's it's like yes, you have got to kill a family member, and you need to mean it, and this is the only way. This is like the darkest stuff. But yet, in that same interview. The guy was saying that skinwalkers weren't always bad. It that that they've gotten worse over time, that they've turned into this darker and darker thing. So Well, I've heard that they like started off as like the weird medicine man. Cause they're a divergent of of the Native American medicine man. So usually a healer in the tribe. Let's just say that the basic concept for me that I've gotten through everything is that skinwalkers currently not a good thing. You don't fuck with them and you don't talk about them, which I guess hey. completely fucked because I've done nothing but talk about them for like four days. <laughs> I mean, Damn I'm it. okay talking about them because they're like, no one, look at that guy. No one's listening to him anyway. True enough, yeah. Um, I barely listened to you when you were my boss. Like, do what? I'm aware of the disrespect I got. <laughs> you didn't do anything at work either. <laughs> I did lots of things. <laughs> do you know how hard Stand it around, is to talk about watch? skinwalkers with me for an hour? But no. <laughs> do you know how hard it is to stand around? And act like you're doing nothing when truly you're doing nothing. It's very <laughs> difficult. It was stressful. I had you're... a very stressful job. It was an, there was an art to it. Yes, absolutely. Another story, actually two separate stories. They come from the same person. This happened just a few years ago and I picked up on it. Is a, a young man who talks about an incident while he was out hunting on his family's farmland, which butts right up against um, Hawk Mountain. There's a story in which his mother supposedly saw something and she described it as being on all fours with the body of a deer, but slightly larger. And when it got up and sort of looked at her, she realized that it had a long horse-like face and a mouth to match that. It also had black and white spots, the kind of spots that a fawn would have, although it was a large deer so the whole black and white was kind of weird so what you're telling me is she saw a loose dalmatian <laughs> right but much much larger than that it was the size of a deer they they the whole thing happened during um he had shot a deer and they were looking for it they couldn't really find the blood trail and the mom was kind of helping out to try to find it and she came across this animal instead and was like what the fuck and then she like ran off and didn't that's really the wrong happen. animal it's not what i wanted yeah right it's not venison so another tale that he told is when he's it's during archery season he considers himself sort of the caretaker of his family's area their all their land and their forest and when he's taking care of the trails in the past the, for the family to walk through, he's always cleaning up and he whistles to himself, right? He's sitting there in a quiet forest. It's archery season. He's waiting. 
all of a sudden he hears whistling from the woods, except it's his whistling as if something is mimicking the way he usually whistles. Ooh. Right? It's got that mimicking thing going on, which that's kind of a Wendigo thing. The same experiences happened to people attending the ranger school where they not only heard mimicked whistling back, but they also would hear whispering in the forest as well. And whenever you hear whispering in the forest, guys, you follow it until you find what's whispering. You just, you just keep on that path. That's a JC tip. JC pro tip. If you want to go missing and die, that's what you do. <laughs> if you want to live, you don't follow the whispering in the, in the woods. You don't. I, tr- I truly, I truly hope that Ian and Brennan are listening to this episode because they're always going off about how you don't hang out in the Like, I've been camping in the woods, like, ever since I was little. Mm-hmm. And I've never had any types of experiences even remotely like this. But I know that it happens. And I know that the woods can be scary as fuck. So I laugh, but. I am, like, dead dead terrified of like most forested areas at night because it's just so much dark and it's it's like i don't know i i'm not a fan like i'll go camping and i enjoy myself and stuff but there's a fire and i don't like going you know like i but if you're seriously like out in the woods nah fuck that shit i'm not i'm not there so what i thought was interesting was on this particular story about the mimicking of the whistling and the whispering in the woods that a Chippewa tribesman chimed in and said that they're taught not to whistle at night because they, the Wendigo, will whistle back. Oh, wow. Now, aren't Wendigo, like, rare? Like, or how common are these creatures? Now I'm going to go ahead and get into what they are. And, and, and actually two things that may be at play here if you're going to uh, believe the Lenape mythology. There are two culprits maybe at work here. So we have the Wamataganis, but we might know them as puck wedgies. I have heard of puck wedgies. Mm-hmm. Mischievous little bastards. They are dwarf-like creatures that are usually benevolent, but can get really pissy when they've been disrespectful. When they've been disrespected. And when they've been disrespected, you don't know, like, um, since I would consider these to be in First Peoples equivalent to fairy folk, if you're out in the forest and doing really shitty things, like littering maybe, or I don't know, whatever, uh, that might be considered disrespectful. They usually do nice things for you, though, if you tolerate their trickery. Did you know sometimes they push people off cliffs? I have heard that, yes. That, that was, they get really pissed off at you and have been completely disrespectful, yes. <laughs> and sometimes you just have to exist to be disrespectful. Um, okay, so then there is also the Mahue. And the Mahue is the equivalent of a Wendigo for the Delaware tribes. Not many tales of the Mahue are recorded, unfortunately, unlike the better-known Wendigo that has lots of stories. The Mahue was a fearsome monster associated with starvation, cannibalism, and sin. 
And yes, a person had to taste human flesh or go mad from the cold in order to turn into a Mahue. And that specifically in this legend, they are called ice giants. Oh, interesting. Right? Because you had to, there's an element of cold now, in, even in traditional, like what we consider traditional Wendigo stories. Like, I, I guess I would say the blanket Wendigo story, like the one you told, is that there is actually an element of going mad from the cold or you're in a cold environment and you have to eat somebody because they died and that's the only way you're going to live. So there's cannibalism involved. But uh, the Mahue could actually be turned back into a human if it was treated kindly and given, quote, civilized food to eat. Oh, well, that's, I mean... I'm not so sure that that actually is Wendigo tradition. I I don't know if other tribes felt the same way. I, I don't know. Yeah, so that, that's a might have what to look that up. What if it was and the other tribes were just so shitty, like, or well, not even shitty, because, you know, if something's out murdering people, you're not going to shower with kindness. But, like, <laughs> that, that, that'd be kind of interesting, like, that it is all the same thing. And they're all just, no, we have to fear it. And then this one tribe's like, yeah, but hear me out. Let's, let's let things get real weird here. Let's give it some food. Well, there was another woman who also commenting on some of this stuff, and I don't know what tribe she's from. She mentioned that the Wendigo was also benevolent, and it could go either way, and that when a child was born, you had a little medicine pouch type thing, and you would put, a, I know that dog bone was mentioned. I've tried to find... <laughs> I'm so, I'm so terrible at being able to find refine things on the internet, even though I have saved them in my bookmarks. I'm like, where the hell did this go? Because uh, I just wanted to confirm what exactly was in the pouch. But I do know it was a dog bone and a couple other things are put into this pouch. And then the pouch is then tied into a tree. And the idea is on your birth night, you tie this in the tree. And if it's taken, then you are protected by the Wendigo when you're out in the woods. If it's not taken then as you grow older, you need to be very, very careful when going in the woods because you are not protected by this extra nature spirit, so to, so to speak. Wait, protected by or protected from? No, apparently protected from the Wendigo or, and kind of by it because like the way that she said it was that her pouch was taken and she has always felt very safe and comfortable in a forest environment. Well, I guess my pouch wasn't taken because I always feel very, you know, attacked. <laughs> Well, one could also say that if your parents tell you that they made this pouch for you and they put it in the tree and that it was taken, then you would have this extra confidence when going out into the forest and it could just be completely in your head. Maybe that's a good thing, you know, because you're going out there and you're like, I'm confident I got this, but then, you know. And then you get murdered by a Wendigo. Cougars, bears, you know, depending on what kind of... Part of the country you're in, you know, cougars, bears, 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 and bears, and snakes, rattlesnakes. I mean, you know, copperheads actually out here, but they won't. There's kill a you. lot of ways to die out in the wild. Okay, mm-hmm. we don't need to go yeah. through them all. Maybe that could be a whole episode. God damn it. <laughs> so I say make of the stories what you will, but it's intriguing that some of the ones that I found were actually in just the last few years. And it seems like people are more willing to talk about it as we descend into chaos. Yeah. So maybe we've just really pissed off the forest so much that its spirit protectors are fighting back finally. Uh, I doubt it, but 
I mean, whatever you want to believe. Or maybe they're just messing around with this like that kid. Because I feel like if he was the caretaker of his family's property, then maybe the puck wedgies are just playing little tricks on him, whistling back at him. And if he just whistles back to them, yeah, then they'll like him because he's he's okay with their tricks. Nah. They're going to push him off a cliff, huh? Yep. I should probably write to him and tell him to be careful. You definitely should. Don't go to standing near any cliffs or waterfalls. Don't go chasing waterfalls. Yeah, definitely don't go chasing any waterfalls, buddy. Or as the CSI cop would say, Looks like the water wasn't the only thing that fell today. <laughs> You're welcome. I took a pair of sunglasses off for you when you said it. I had my hand up by... I'm not wearing sunglasses because I'm inside and I'm a normal human being. <laughs> That is completely debatable. Uh, But yeah, so uh, what was I saying? Oh yeah, things and stuff. I actually completely lost my train of thought there. You don't think that there's a skinwalker on Hawk Mountain? No, okay. My research would indicate that this is, if it's anything supernatural or paranormal at all, that, or even cryptid, it's going to fall under either Puck Wedgies or the Mahue Mahawe. So what you're saying is you called me a racist for no reason. I never called you a racist, but I do want to point out that- You heavily implied that I was a racist piece of shit because I thought that the Skidwalker was a Navajo-only thing. You heavily applied those things. You might have just done it with a look, but you didn't. Or I may have just said, oh, hey, I just found out that um, Skidwalkers aren't just a Navajo- uh, thing it's pretty cool i have to i have to do some more digging and find out if they really are lenape or not it just turns out that they know about them but they don't really have a an equivalent per se uh-huh uh-huh or and hear me out yeah that's probably what happened <laughs> that's exactly what happened shut up so our musical guest today is angela french and her three-piece band which includes jason burke and sam smith And they are from Southern Illinois, and we were introduced to her through my good friend and fellow Ravager, Rob Wissenhunt, whose music we've already featured on here. Uh, I would describe Angela as sort of an edgy Sarah McLaughlin, and the song we chose today is Feel Something, and that can be found on Spotify. When we get back, we're going to beg you for money (laughs) that you don't have. (laughs) Because you've used it all on toilet paper. If you want to join our squad, head on over to patreon.com slash mission spooky. We currently have tiers at the one and two dollar level. One single buck gets you our undying gratitude and a shout out on the cast. And the two dollar level gets you access to our boober reels and possibly even a roll of toilet paper. <laughs> we are currently not looking for anything specific from you guys. If you want to email us with any spooky stories, though, feel free. It's missionspookypodcast at gmail.com. 
Uh, you can also feel, feel free to email us questions or comments on any of previous episodes or like this one if we don't know what the hell we're talking about. If you're a PA, New Jersey, or Delaware band and or just uh, own your own music and would like to be featured on the podcast, please feel free to contact us through private message on Instagram, Twitter, or you can email us directly at that mission spooky podcast at gmail.com. You can find all of our musical guests on Spotify by typing Mission Spooky 2020 in the search bar. We're going to be continually adding to that list as we go. As I said, we're going to be adding Angela's song on there today. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram at Mission Spooky, and on our Facebook page, which JC rules with an iron fist of compassion. Uh, don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes. Just remember to be kind. Also, rate and review us on Podchaser and Facebook, our poor little Facebook page. We have over 100 people already, which is actually pretty impressive considering that we've done almost nothing to, to get that. But we don't have anyone who's rated our podcast on there. So that would be nice. Um, just don't give us a one because I don't think we suck that bad. I've been told by my clients, I'm a great sucker. I mean. <laughs> God. Oh, my gosh. OK, so taking us out again is Angela French and her song Feel Something which again can be found on our Spotify playlist. And also you can hear all of their songs on Spotify as well. And as promised, nothing changes for now. So stay spooky, guys, and don't die. But if you do, contact us. Via, if you could, please, uh, just remain six feet away. We're practicing uh, social distancing. There's nothing happening. I just want to feel